Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. So Halloween is coming up, um, and I had all these thoughts to do a podcast on horror, and then I thought, you know what? No. By the time this podcast comes out, you are going to be so tired of people talking about horror movies. So instead of talking about horror movies, what we're going to talk about is what's really horrifying to many writers, which is pitching, right? The real source of the most abject terror for screenwriters is definitely having to get in a room and talk about your work. Now, there are exceptions to this rule. There are writers who love to pitch. I'm a writer who loves to pitch. But I didn't start that way. I started, and this is what it looked like, me just having to make a phone call. It was like, okay, I'm going to pick up the phone. No, no, you know, I'm not ready. I'm going to walk around. I'm going to pace around. I'm going to pace around. I'm going to pace. Okay, I'm going to do some deep breathing. Okay, now I'm going to write down exactly what am I going to say. No, that's not good enough. You know what? I should read the trades. I should read the trades. you know, so I have something to talk about, you know, so I'm up on everything. I'll read the trip. Oh, well, it's already four o'clock. It's, it's kind of late to call somebody. I mean, they're probably ready to go for the day. So um, maybe I should just repeat this whole process tomorrow. That was me as a young, believe it or not, producer. Um, I was terrified of using the phone. And in fact, I had to learn how to use the phone in order to do my job. And it was it was scary for me. It was scary for me to get up there and pitch even somebody else's project, much less my own. So I want to talk to you about how I overcame that fear. And I want to talk to you about some ways that you can overcome your own fear about pitching. Um, So understanding where that fear comes from is is where it starts. Um, Like any good horror movie, right? The real fear is in the anticipation, right? Jaws is not scary when you see the shark. Jaws is scary when you don't see the shark. Stranger Things, the first season, is so freaking scary before you see the creature. And then you see the creature, and it's fine, but it's kind of anticlimactic based on all the thoughts you had on your head, even true detective, right? You're waiting for this horrible confrontation with this horrible killer, but the real interesting thing happens way before that. When you finally find out who the killer is, it's actually not as scary as all the stuff leading up to it. The monster is only scary when it's under the bed or in the closet. So the first rule to confronting any fear is to get that monster out from under the bed where you can deal with it. Get that monster out from the closet where you can deal with it. Psychologically and physiologically, there's also a thing that happens in our mind with fear, right? Which is when you run from fear, this is how your brain learns that this is really scary, right? The more you run, the more your brain knows this is something to fear. And the more you're just like, the more your brain's like, maybe this isn't so scary. Maybe this isn't such a big deal. So not to oversimplify the psychology of fear. There is a lot of psychology underneath fear. But as some simple cognitive behavioral things you can do, remember that you've got to get that fear out in the open and confronted as quickly as you can. So what was the worst part of what I was doing? right? It was putting it off for the next day because of fear. 
because that gives me a whole other night to stew on it, to know it's going to be horrifying, to know it was so bad I couldn't even do it yesterday, right? Imagine how bad this is going to be, right? We got to get that fear out. So the first step is just understanding the nature of fear, right? We're more afraid of things that we aren't used to than things that we are used to. Uh, think about COVID. When COVID first happened, most of us were freaking terrified, right? It was brand new. Everyone in the country was like, man, I hope they can get those vaccines in time. Then after a year of oddly getting used to it, half the country doesn't even want vaccines. It's just not that scary to them anymore. It's still scary to me, but it's not that scary to many people anymore. We get used to things that seem completely intolerable, right? And they become tolerable and COVID is a bad example, but pitching can even become pleasurable. So in order to confront your fear, look, you're not going to be able to fight down the big dragon, right? You're not taking down the ice king, right? On your first day. So part of confronting the fear is breaking the fear into manageable chunks so you can succeed. Breaking your fear into manageable steps so you can take a little step each day, a little step, and then a little step, and then a little step, and a little step, and a little step, and then a little step. And in that way, build a rhythm and make this just something you do so it's all so much less terrifying. So that might be a day might just be spent, hey, I'm just going to talk about my script to myself. I'm just going to pitch it to myself a bunch of different ways. I'm going to record some videos of myself talking about the script, and I'm going to play them back for myself, see if there are any that I like. I'm going to, maybe the next step is I'm going to talk about it with a friend. I'm going to talk to it with my mom, my dad, my best friend, another writer. Maybe the next step is I'm going to go to a restaurant or a bar. A restaurant. Maybe the next step is I'm going to go to a public place. I'm going to talk to some strangers about it. Maybe the next step is, you know, I'm going to make a list of not like my dream producers, but like low-level producers I could practice talking to about it. Maybe it's going to a pitch fest where I can just practice. Please trust me, you're not going to sell your script at a pitch fest. But maybe I can just go to a pitch fest where I can practice, right? Um, so, in fact, uh, on that note, make a note. Our pitch festivist, our free pitch fest is coming up on December 9th. Maybe you just go, hey, I'm going to come to pitch festivist. So... You want to break the, those, the steps down of the thing you fear so that you're confronting a little piece of it each day. Okay. Outside of the cognitive behavioral thing, there's also an emotional thing, which is most of us as writers are insecure, right? It's not necessarily even that we're insecure about pitching. We might just be insecure about our work. For so many of us, we wonder, is our script really that good? Are we really that good? Are we really even ready to be pitching? Should we be pitching anybody? Do we deserve this? Are we ready to take that step? So to give you another metaphor, a lot of writers, perfectly reasonable, decent, wonderful human beings, when pitching, they suddenly turn into used car salesmen. You probably understand what I'm talking about here. It, well, I'll tell you a, a true story. Back in the day when I lived in Venice Beach and I was a producer very early in my career, and there was a very talented manager who worked at the same company that I worked in. We weren't close friends, but we were acquaintances and, and I respected him. And uh, he represented actors. And one of my very good friends 
was a wonderful actor, really, really gifted, gifted actor. And uh, I wanted him to meet this manager. I thought that they would hit it off and I thought maybe he would get some representation. And so I, I threw a big party and I invited my manager friend to the party and I invited my actor friend to the party. And as soon as I could, I found an opportunity to gently introduce them. And my actor friend, who was the nicest guy, so lovely to talk to, such, such a, a people person, just wonderful dude, suddenly started acting like a used car salesman. His conversation with this manager sounded something like this. Oh my God, you're a manager. I'm an actor. Can you help me? And so many of us as writers do that too. It's like you're at a party, you meet a producer, and suddenly you turn into this like salivating dog. You're a producer. Will you make my script? Will you read it? Will you do it? Right? As opposed to being like, oh, you're a manager. Cool. What are you working on? What are you into? What are you interested in? What gets you excited? Thinking of your pitch interactions, you know, everyone pitches this idea of the elevator pitch, right? As if all pitches happen like while you're going up an elevator and if you don't get there in time, you're, you're screwed, right? If that door opens before you've got the last word out, I mean, Martin Scorsese's walking and you're screwed. That's how a lot of people think about pitching. That's not true. It's not true. It, it, it might be true at a fictional event designed for pitching, but a real pitch is a personal experience. You don't just come in and go, when a man finds out. No, you, you come in and you go, hey, what's up? It's so nice to meet you. You drink some water. You have a coffee. You chat. You talk. You make small talk. You get to know the person. And so I think the mistake happens on two different levels. On the simplest level, the mistake happens because we're trying so hard to make the sale in the room as opposed to trying to find our tribe that we want to work with. So I want you to think about this. What would happen if you didn't try to sell your script? What would happen if instead you tried to find the people who you would love to work with, the people who you respect, the people who you connected with? What would happen if in try, instead of trying to sell somebody something, you tried to figure out what they needed and tried to help them find what they need? And if that need happened to be your script, then great. And if that need happened to be something else that you still tried to help them? What if instead of trying to build a sale, you tried to build a friendship? How would that change your feeling? And look, some of us have social anxiety. I had social anxiety early in my career. That's part of the reason probably I ended up a writer, right? Um, but don't worry, you can overcome social anxiety. I, I don't have social anxiety today. So how do you overcome it? You overcome it by doing the things that you already do. Are you good at being a decent human being? Well, start there. And one thing that a decent human being doesn't do that so many writers try to do is try to sell somebody something that's shit, right? 
a decent human being doesn't go, look, I have this good idea with this barely completed screenplay that I, you know, haven't had a single bit of professional feedback about and, you know, kind of blew out in a weekend and don't have any training on and haven't really taken to the next level. Would you buy it for me for a lot of money, right? A, a decent human being doesn't do that. Like if, if you took it back to the used car lot, right? And you were like, you know, hey, you know, I'm looking for a really great, really great car, you know, something in perfect condition, um, you know, something awesome, a diamond in the rough, something, something special. You know, I, I don't want like a Ford Taurus. I want, I want something that, you know, has a little, a little spark to it, but something that's going to be reliable, right? Something I can depend on. And uh, the person says, you know, well, over here, I have the per exactly what you need. And you look and it's a Ford Taurus from 1987. And, you know, with like a fresh coat of paint on it uh, and like a weird spoiler or something right? A decent human being doesn't do that. A used car salesperson does that. And not even a good used car salesperson, a crappy used car salesperson, right? Um, somebody who's not thinking about the other person at all, who's only thinking about what's in it for me, what do I get? And you can feel it on that person. You can feel the smarminess of the person who's trying to sell you something. Now, there are a few people who are just genuinely good at manipulation and are a little bit sociopathic and are great at selling in this way. And if that's you, Okay, great. You can ignore everything that I'm saying and continue to sell in whatever way builds your career. But I like to look at myself in the mirror and feel good about myself. And it makes it a lot more comfortable for me to pitch somebody something if I fully believe in it. And so the first step for me that I learned in doing that was not to pitch something till I fully believed in it. That meant not until I'd really done the work, not until I'd really develop the script as far as I could take it. Not until I got some feedback from a professional that I respect, not my mom who loves everything, right? Somebody who knew more than I did. Um, to give you a metaphor, we were talking about used car salesmen, but there's also a Lamborghini dealer. And you want to be a Lamborghini dealer, not a used car salesperson. And here's the difference. Not everyone can afford a Lamborghini. Not everybody even wants a Lamborghini. I don't even want a Lamborghini. Honestly, I'd rather have some crappy fun car that I can bang around in than a car that's worth uh, more than my mortgage, right? I, I don't need a Lamborghini. But the people who want a Lamborghini, you don't have to convince them. You don't have to be like, look what this model has. Right? You don't have to be like, you should do this. Now, the person who wants a Lamborghini and can afford a Lamborghini simply needs to go to the dealer and pick out the Lamborghini they like. The Lamborghini sells itself. And the truth is, there's nothing you can do to talk that person in or out of a Lamborghini. It's either the color and the look that they want or it's not. And the same is really true with your screenplay. Unless you're one of those few, right? Unless you really should have been an agent or a manager, right? You, you have that, that ability to talk somebody into anything. For most of us, there's nothing you can say that's going to actually change whether they want your script or not, except the script itself. And in fact, everything you're saying is really just going to open the door and allow them to consider whether they should read your script. So rather than trying so hard to sell, so hard to convince, put your focus first on really doing the work on your script.
Don't make it a good script with a great idea. Don't make it a great script with a great, make it an exceptional script. Um, one of the, the tricks I use for myself to figure this out is I figure what's the budget of the movie? Let's say, let's say I'm writing a low budget film, not a micro budget, like an indie, well-financed indie film. Let's say I'm writing a million dollar movie. Well, what that means is that every page of my script, let's say I have a hundred page script. Every page of my script is worth 10 grand. That means like every line of action I write, every line of dialogue I write, it's worth about $1,000. Meaning I'm literally asking the person that I'm talking to to give me $1,000 for this line of dialogue, for that line of action. That's what a million dollar budget is. If you got a bigger budget, add a zero. Bigger budget, add another zero. And if you think about it that way, you can ask yourself, you can literally just read your script and say, if somebody gave me this line of action and said, would you rather have this line in the movie or would you rather have $1,000 in your pocket? Well, what would you take? If you take the $1,000, if you're like, no, nah, that line's not that important, take, I'll take the grand. Well, then your script isn't actually ready to pitch because then you're asking somebody for something that you wouldn't do. If you look at a random line of dialogue, you're like, yeah, you know, I guess you could probably cut that. I, I'll take it. I'll take a thousand dollars. Take a grand. You, you could cut that. I mean, it's a good line, but you could cut it. It's not that, that important. I'd rather have a thousand dollars. Well, your script isn't ready to pitch because then you are asking somebody else to do something that you wouldn't do, right? You're asking somebody else to put their money where you wouldn't put it. So, Doing the work, doing that kind of revision, that kind of extra work in my Write Your Screenplay class, we talk about the four phases of writing, like taking your work through each of those four phases so it's really done, getting real professional feedback. I'm not talking about crappy coverage readers. And coverage readers, I love you, right? I, I'm not saying that, that you're crappy people. Some of you are wonderful people. I was a coverage reader. I started there. But when I was a coverage reader, just like most coverage readers, I didn't know what I was doing. And even if I had known what I was doing, I wouldn't have had time to really do it because I was, at that time, I was an intern reading five scripts in an evening. A lot of coverage readers get paid. Maybe they get paid $35. Maybe they get paid $50 a script. Think about how fast they're reading, right? That's not how you do notes. So even if they did know how they were doing, they still can't give you real feedback on your script. They have to skim your script. They have to rush the notes just to survive, just to eat. So I'm talking about real feedback from a professional writer. You also want to be careful about producer feedback. Producers hate reading. And unless they're actually invested in the project, sometimes a producer just instead of saying like, you know, this isn't really for me, might say something like, you should change this, this, and this, right? And then you'll say, well, if I change all those things, would you want it? And they'll be like, mm, you know, probably not. Right, And you realize, oh, it's just not their taste. It's just not their genre. They're not looking for a Lamborghini. They're looking for a minivan. It doesn't matter what I change on my Lamborghini. You know, I can, I can add one of those weird sliding doors, but and maybe I could stick a back seat in there, but they're still not going to drive it. And all I'm going to end up with is a really messed up Lamborghini. So you got to know what your piece is. You really want feedback from a professional writer.
somebody who's been there more than you. When I say professional, I don't mean like, I'm an aspiring professional writer who's never sold a script. I mean a professional writer who does this for a living, who's been there before. And if you need help with us, that, let us know. And that's what we do. We match up and coming screenwriters with professional writers who can mentor them. So when you've actually done that work, you're gonna feel a really rare feeling, which is confidence you're gonna know you have a Lamborghini. And here's the really interesting thing. You're gonna know that you worked harder than most writers are willing to work. You worked longer than most writers were willing to work. You invested more than most writers were willing to invest. Most writers are just throwing stuff up against the wall to see if it sticks. Even professional writers, they're doing this used charisma. You wanna buy it? You wanna buy it? You wanna buy it? As opposed to like, what is it? What do I love about it? Have I made the most out of that? You're going to feel confident and you're still not going to have a script that's for everybody. A lot of people are going to hate it and they should hate it. Just like you hate movies that other people love, right? People recommend movies to me all the time. Oh my God, it was amazing. And I see it, I'm like, meh. But there are other movies that I love that other people might be like, we have strong genre preferences. So people are going to hate it. Great. Others are going to love it. Not everybody wants a Lamborghini. But in the screenwriting world, it's really rare that you see a Lamborghini. Most of what you see are like cars that should be like in a scrapyard somewhere. You know, the door's hanging off. There's no engine. They, it's got like one really beautiful tire, you know? And the reason that these scripts kick around is, you know, the best producers, the biggest producers and the biggest agencies, they already have all the good scripts, right? Most of the really great scripts written by really great experienced writers, they get snatched up before anybody else even knows they exist. And what happens is there are a lot of hungry people who don't get that first phone call from CAA, a lot of hungry producers who don't get that first, first look at that script. So they're out looking around for the diamond in the rough. And mostly what they're finding is like scrap heap parts. It's like, well, I could take this engine and maybe I could stick it in this chassis. And if I steal that beautiful tire, well, that would look nice if I can find three more of those, right? They're trying to like piece together a car through this weird development process, which honestly, they're not auto mechanics or auto engineers, right? They don't really know how to build it. They just know that this is not working yet, but it's got some beautiful elements. It's rare that they even see a car that's going to run, much less an actual Lamborghini, meaning a movie that you could actually shoot the way it was written. A movie that you could actually attract a star to the way it was written. A movie where all those thoughts and all those decisions have been handled with that kind of specificity and love and care from the beginning. It's rare. Everybody wants that. Everybody would kill for it, even if you don't like it. When I was a producer, there were often scripts that I would read that I would know, I can't make this. I can't convince my boss to make this movie. But I would fall in love with the writer. And often the writer would find a little note for me going like, what else have you got? Or a meeting with me going, what else have you got? Sometimes the writer would get put up for another project by me. They might not even know me, but, they, but I was a fan. I was a fan because I was seeing something special from them that stood out from all that garbage that I was used to seeing. So step one, do the work on the script. The truth is you want to build a library before you're really getting serious about pitching, before you're making pitching a full-time job. 
You want to make sure you're ready to go through that door. If you've only written one good script, what's going to happen if you sell it? Well, I hope you sell it, but just think about it. Now you're going to have an agent. Your agent's going to be like, what else have you got? You're going to be like, nothing. And your agent's going to be like, okay, dude, call me in a few months when you got a script. And by then your agent will have forgotten about you. Meanwhile, your agent has no ability to get you a job because you need at least two great scripts as a writing sample and they can't send your first script to anyone because it's already sold. This is what happens to so many writers who get lucky a little too quickly. And look, that's a high class problem. And if that happens to you, great, we'll deal with it and we'll figure out how to get you up and running quickly. So I'm not saying, look, if you have an opportunity, if Martin Scorsese actually does show up in the elevator, please pitch him your script, no matter where you are in the process. But before you make pitching a full-time job, before you put your focus on that, get your muscles ready. Get your muscles ready so if you get hired and put in a writer's room, you could turn around three scripts in two weeks. Get your muscles ready so that when somebody goes, I need you to revise all of this, I need a page one rewrite, you can be like, no problem, I know how to do that. I've done, done that, I've been here before. So you wanna be confident. You get confident by doing the work. You get confident by having done the work on a lot of scripts, by really being ready. You want to bite off little pieces so you can start to build your confidence, so you can start to flush that monster out from the closet where it's less scary. You want to get comfortable with rejection because you're not trying to sell anything. What you're actually trying to do is figure out who deserves your script. See, you actually have a Lamborghini if you've done all the things that I've suggested. And that means you are no longer a beggar. You are now a chooser. Now look, a lot of people don't know you have a Lamborghini. They gotta read it first, right? And that means developing certain skills that allow you to talk about it. And we'll talk about how to develop those skills in future podcasts, or for those of you who take the Masterclass or ProTrack, we can develop those skills there. But it actually begins by going, you know what? I am not a beggar, I'm a chooser. I'm not a used car salesman, I'm a Lamborghini dealer. I have actually the thing that certain people are looking for, not everybody, but there are certain people who would kill for this because it's actually ready to go. And so now what I have to do is I have to get out there and I have to start talking to people, not like a jerk who's trying to shove something down their throat, but like somebody who has something real valuable and is kind of feeling them out to see, are they worthy of it? Are they the kind of people I would like to collaborate with? Are they cool? Are they interesting? Are, do we vibe together? Do we have a good conversation? Do I want to spend the next two years of my life with them? All pitching is personal. All pitching is personal. So what you really want to develop is the ability to ask awesome questions, to ask people about themselves, to talk about what projects are you interested in. And if they're not looking for your project, don't pitch them your project. If they're like, if you've got a beautiful, the Lamborghini of zombie movies, and they're like, yes, and we make character-driven romantic comedies. Don't go, well, boy, do I have a zombie movie for you. No. Go, oh, wow. Talk to me. What are some of the romantic comedies you've seen that you love? What, what's the movie you saw recently that you wished you made? Think about, do I know anybody who's got a good romantic comedy that this person might like? Do I have a romantic comedy idea that this person might like? And if you don't, you go, boy, do I not have the right script for you. I write zombie movies. Could I pick your brain for a second? And this is the most important thing. Again, we'll talk about how to actually handle the pitch in a different podcast, but 
talking about how to handle the emotion of the pitch, the horror of the pitch, it goes like this. You're not trying to sell anything. You're trying to help. If they're looking for what you have, then you just share what you have with them. And if they're not, what you do is you turn them into a mentor. People love being mentors. It's so much more comfortable than having to say no to somebody. It's so much more comfortable than having somebody pitch their heart out on something that you knew from the first sentence you were not going to buy. It's so much easier when somebody goes, wow, you know, I'm probably not the right writer for you. Or I would love to do another project for you. Um, but what I came to pitch you is probably not something that you're going to want. Hey, could I pick your brain for a second? And almost always they'll say yes. And then you say something like this. Look, I know this is not for you, um, but I'm an emerging writer. I've got a strong script and I need some advice. Who would you bring it to? And then you pitch your heart out quickly, giving them... I always like to start with a little personal story about myself, something that made me want to write it so they can connect to me personally and know that I'm the writer for this. And then a nice quick pitch, capturing the essence of the story, capturing the heart of it, what makes it beautiful for you. I want to have some comps in my back pocket. I'm going to have some movies or shows like it that made a lot of money that were successful in the last few years. So I'll be say I'll pitch them a script and I'll go, and look, you know, I know it's not for you, but I also know someone's going to make money on it. Not only because it's good, but because it's got a great role for this guy that you've worked with. Uh, I won't say that you've worked with, but I'll know who they've worked with. It's got a great role for this guy. You know, it's got, um, it's like this movie and this movie and this movie that made this much money in the box. Of, I know somebody's going to make a lot of money on this. And I know the script is really good. I've gotten professional feedback. I've been working on it for a couple of years. I'm really happy with where the script is. So if you were in my shoes, who would you bring it to? And then you shut up because whoever speaks next loses. And they will feel the need to fill the silence. Maybe they'll fill it with, I don't know, in which case you go, well, you certainly know more than I do. So if you were in my shoes, like, where would you start? Or they'll go, you know, maybe I bring it to Netflix. And you go, oh, who do you like over there? Ah, you know, I like uh, Sally Jones over there. Making up Sally Jones, she's not a real person that I know. But I, I like Sally over there. And then you only have one other question, which is, can I mention your name when I call? And almost always they will say yes. If they say no, don't mention their name because Sally is going to slack them or text them and be like, uh, dude, did you send this dude? But usually they'll say yes. And now what's incredible is you're not making a cold call anymore. You're not some random person knocking on the door. You're now somebody that the producer who you just spoke to has recommended. Also, you just built yourself a mentor. You were real with them and you made this person a part of your team, which means at that point, as soon as you get your yes, you get the hell out. Thank you so much for your time. I'm so grateful. It means a lot to me to have your mentorship. Um, I'm sorry I didn't have the right project for you, but... Um, when I write a romantic comedy, you'll be the first door I knock on. And then you get the hell out and you keep them posted. And now you've got a friend in your corner and you're starting to build your friendships in the industry. And if you're in the same meeting and the guy's a jerk, well, don't worry. Because you don't want to deal with jerks. Because the only horror worse than having someone say no to your screenplay is having a jerk say yes. 
because that jerk will make you miserable for the next couple of years. And that jerk will drain the joy and the fun and the creativity out of your writing. And that jerk will end up destroying the project that you love. What you're really looking for, you're not trying to sell anything because selling is scary for most of us. What you're really looking for is you're looking for people who are your tribe, people who you love and connect with and who love and connect with you. You're looking for mentors. You're playing the long game. You're looking for people that you can help. You're trying to make everybody's day a little bit better who you come in touch with. And when you start to do that, pitching becomes a lot less scary for you, hopefully, just like it did for me because I wasn't a person who liked to sell, but I've always been a person who liked to help. And if you start to realize that when you're pitching, what you're really doing is helping, suddenly a whole new door opens and pitching can actually become fun. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please subscribe, review, help spread the word, and come join me for free every Thursday night. Thursday Night Writes, writeyourscreenplay.com slash Thursday.